animal magnetism. Exploring animal care for creatures great and small. Conservation and preservation in today's world. Find out what a single voice can do to make a difference in the lives of animals. Animal Magnetism with Carolyn Hennessy starts right now on UVN Radio. Everyone, for uh, for those who don't know, my uh, my producer and co-host Andrea Compton, she's giggling because <coughs> um, I'm very excited, and as as you can tell, because this is our first live in studio animal magnetism, fresh off the presses. Uh, that is not a a, a a re-air in how many months? Give it a give it a wild guess. Four, four four months sure four months four really? four now you sound four. like you sound like i feel what why is why is that what's going on with you no it's just waking up and i am mentally preparing for my first 5k of 2019 oh sure well <laughs> as one as one will of course I, why Your not first 5k of 2019 well um i, I continue to be uh, uber proud of you in all that you do this is our first show of 2019 and we are thrilled welcome to animal magnetism ladies gents and everyone in between anyone who identifies as anything as long as you identify as an animal lover and as an animal advocate you are welcome here uh and even if you don't hopefully we can uh change hearts and minds and turn you around about a few things i am your host carolyn hennessy uh with uh, the handsomest man in radio uh in in studio running my board tony sweet hello tony and good morning and happy new year Andrea Compton, co-host, producer extraordinaire. Hello, darling, again. Oh, hello. Hello. Oh, thank you, Tony. <laughs> and believe it or not, I just got off the phone with our other co-host, uh, Gray Stafford, who neither of us reached out to and said, hey, we're actually not going to rebroadcast. We're going to have an in-studio in, in show. You want to come on? Of course, this was about eight minutes ago, and Gray said, hmm, um... I, he was just he's just gonna pass he said he, he's realizing he's dealing with uh, you know actors and producers who realize that the show must go on but he was, he's going to sort of stay off today because we sent him nothing and we <coughs> we came at him literally seconds before the show started and I don't blame him and he will be back in two weeks but we are very speaking of coming back and returning we are very fortunate to have uh, a former guest on the show Mike veal founder president of Global Conservation Force, GFC. And uh, Mike, thanks again for being here. We have a lot of new things to, to, uh, to talk about, especially the Blue, the Blue Plate Brewery fundraiser, Operation Java, Operation Kenya. Thank you again for being here. Thank you so much for having me. All right, for those who, uh, who did not catch the uh, the, the your initial uh, entree onto this show, which was, believe it or not, May of 2017. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow. wow. I know. I know. We have things to discuss. Let me just let them know a little bit about you. Mike Veal is a Southern California native who has worked extensively with animals for the majority of his career as a senior mammal keeper at the San Diego Safari Park. Yay. Yep. Uh, you had unparalleled access to the remaining last north African white rhinos, as well as do dozens of other endangered species. In 2014, as after years of watching the populations, the wild populations of the animals 
that Decline. were under you, uh, the species of animals that were under your care dwindle, you decided to take action. Your lengthy zookeeping field wildlife conservation career combined with an active combat sport heavy lifestyle. That always thrills me. Gave Mike the unique experience needed to fight on the front line of conservation. Mike traveled to South Africa and passed the intensive boot camp training required before finally becoming an anti-poaching ranger in Kruger National Park. One of, I'm, I'm sure, a few non-native South Africans to, uh, or Africans to, 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 to do so. And after several months of fighting poaching, you returned to America and Global Conservation Force was founded. You continue to go back and forth between the U.S. and Africa working on direct impact wildlife conservation projects, local community support, and anti-poaching patrols. Mike and, and his team now work in several, 12, well, let's see, 12 countries on boots on the ground and 14 countries that you are uh, that you are influencing with multiple with multiple reserves and anti-poaching units to better train and equip rangers to protect endangered wildlife from poachers you actively patrol to maintain to maintain on the ground insight knowledge and skills to help provide free additional support to the wildlife protection teams in need you are a man among men Abs absolutely wonderful. And something that I really want to talk about is this. You, you, you still continue to actively patrol to maintain on-the-ground insight. So we're going to get to that in a moment. So what's new? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, since May of 2017, <laughs> wow. <clears throat> I know, I know. Things have happened. Things have so happened. So I guess let me start with a couple highlights. We, at that point, were just in the testing phase and fundraising phase for a snow leopard drone which is gonna be the first for protection and research efforts uh, over snow leopards in Mongolia now. It was gonna be Nepal at that point, but politics with the drones and research were too difficult. So we said, hey, we'll go next door to another uh, range habitat. Well, that drone is purchased, done testing. It just wrapped up its testing in uh, the Rocky Mountains of Colorado and it heads to Mongolia in about a month. Um, we expanded our efforts, so we cover uh, pangolin, the world's most trafficked mammal, let me, let me giraffe, stop, Let me stop rhino. just one second because I want to make sure that everyone understands the ramifications and the implications of what this means for the snow leopards. So oh, one, yeah. one country was was just too obstinate about, about the drone flying over, but Mongolia said, yes, come and protect our snow leopards. And so you have you – have you are sending, you and, and Global Conservation Force are sending a drone because mm -hmm. their politics did not, uh, did not prohibit you from actively trying to save their wildlife. Yeah, that's and that's in partnership with the uh, Rocky Mountain Cat Institute, or sorry, Rocky Mountain Cat Conservancy and the Snow Leopard Conservancy. And uh, that is, you know, a highlight project because they've been working on issues on the ground for years and they came to us uh, we were actually talking at a conference and I said, hey, our rangers can barely patrol in a day. So we sat down, talked about logistics for the rangers, how many they had in the area they had to cover. And I said, why aren't you guys using a drone with a thermal camera? You know, a single ranger has to hike a 10 mile trail to check one or two camera traps. That could take one full day if the weather's okay. If that's a 15 minute flight uh, with a drone. Okay, so um, detriment to a drone is they can be shot down. Yeah. How, how do we? How do we do? We, uh, do we have ways of preventing this? Um, and also, I'm assuming that these drones are going to show you then where the poachers are. They're going. They're 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 heat seeking. So they mm -hmm. will not only 
get the heat from the snow leopards, but they'll get, they'll get the heat from the poachers, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and is it silent enough that the poachers won't be able to hear it or see it? Or, or what, how, how do we combat them trying to shoot this thing down? So at the altitude that it flies at and the speed, um, they would have to have very advanced uh, weaponry skills to even get a good solid shot on it. Um, the drone can fly pretty far from them um, and, and maintain a good visual because it's got a zoom lens on it. And um, luckily as well, the, the poachers going after snow leopards are not anywhere near uh, like the ones we face with elephant and rhino poaching. They are more setting traps because snow leopards are so difficult to visually find while on the foot. So they're setting traps and they are shooting some, but it's not as common because of how difficult snow leopards are to see uh, as humans, basically, without technology's advantages. So a 15 minute flight could lead them to where the poachers are. And instead of taking a possibly non-result, you know, one day hike, they can go directly to where they are and catch them in the act. Mm -hmm. So let's say, let's say, you know, this is a very rural area. Imagine being out in, you know, the local mountains and you get a tip off from somebody uh, who's a cattle herder and he says, hey, there's some, there are poachers on the hill and they took this trail. Well, you as the ranger, you drive your vehicle to the base of that hillside and you do a flight scanning up the hillside and all of a sudden you pick them up and you just wait them out. You don't have to run and chase them up the hill. You just monitor where he's going and you can drop the drone to a visual site for him so he knows he's being monitored. He's going to already be afraid. <clears throat> when he runs, he's going to get himself tired. And all you got to do is get to the base of the mountain where he's coming down because he's got to come down at some point and you've got him. And, 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 and he may or may not have a snow leopard with him at that point, in which case you take the snow leopard, release it back into the wild and, he, and he's in custody. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Okay. Next, pangolin. The pangolin, the world's most trafficked mammal. Um, we signed them on, um, I think it was in 2015, but we are still very much in our uh, primarily working with intelligence units, uh, helping with arrests and training on the ground ranger units to pay attention to pangolins because everybody in like the Africa zones were so fixed on rhino and elephant. They're larger. Those, those two species they put an umbrella protection all the way around a reserve because it's the same ranger units in these habitats. But when they got a tip off that a pangolin was being sold in the local market, they may not co go and try to investigate that because they didn't think it was worth their time. Well, that's the world's most trafficked mammal. You, you, could, combine, you could combine elephant, rhino, all the other deaths, and we're talking in the millions uh, because there are eight species, four in Asia and four in Africa, that are heavily impacted by why, trafficking. Why are the pangolins the most trafficked? Is it because they're just easy prey, or are there organs kind of you know used for for which medicine, which doesn't actually work? Why why do you suppose they are? It's a it's a combination of both. Um, they are very docile creatures. They roll up into a ball uh, for self defense. So when poachers find them, um, all they have to do is pretty much put them in a pillowcase or a wire basket. Is what you see them picking them up in a lot. Um, and so on the poacher side, that's easy because these animals live in and outside of the formal reserves. They can go under fence lines. They primarily live off of, uh, you know, insects and, uh, ants. So when these, when they're going out and eating, you can kind of find their food source pretty readily. These poachers can get them, you know, in their own backyard, you know, you know, kind of 
depending and, on the range. And organs are being used for uh, non-effective medicine. And, yeah. and And are people keeping them as pets? Is are they are they eating them? They're eating them. They're not a pet trade animal. Um, they are a uh, traditional medicine uh, within some of the Southeast Asian markets. Uh, one of the, the some of the most recent uh, intelligence from Vietnam is that uh, mothers who need uh, help with producing more milk are using their scales. Um, it's not scientifically based. It's another cultural medicine. Um, in China, they're sold as a delicacy in a soup, and they're sold for different medicinal ailments, uh, Singapore and Thailand as well. Uh, so there's a big demand market, and there are four Asian species and four African species. So we are seeing a lot of action with that. Our primary partner outside of the anti-poaching units that we help train for intel and logistics to get to catch these pangolins before they leave the continent um, are the international law enforcement agencies uh, that are working on strikes where these guys are like moving the trafficked animals. And then the in-country partners that we have, uh, we're doing a lot of buy reduction programs, as in um, education projects that help people realize they're not worth any money and they're not worth killing because they're not actually doing something for you. How do you so we've created those, endangered how, species trading cards. How are those? How are those? How are those programs working? Because my next question was going to be: We have heard so much for centuries that that <clears throat> the Southeast Asian and Asian markets have this, I mean, I, I, I could s speak in very blunt term <laughs> terms, but I'll try and be um, slightly decorous. Um, <clears throat> that They have this misconception about yeah. animals and animal parts as medicine. Pregnant mothers using pangolin scales. I, 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 I don't get it. Um, but how do you see any forward movement in getting not necessarily this generation, but the next generations to understand that these animals are, n it, it ain't gonna help you. It's just not gonna help you. It's, it's, it's not really worth the bad karma you're incurring by killing a rhino or a tiger or a pangolin to, to get, or, or, a sh or a shark for shark fin soup. Um, do you see any forward, mov any forward mov movement there? Yeah, actually, you know, and that's a good thing. We do. We in conservation, we tend to have a lot of negative messages because a lot of the stuff is is death and gloom, and it's we're on the on the red line of extinction for a lot of species. Um, and what's hard to quantify is these micro successes along the way. Um, our team is currently just our team currently just finished uh, an education course that's going to sponsor two hundred students in Vietnam. Um, that's a demand uh, wildlife demand and trade education class for uh, middle school to high school students. And those kids are already asking for the materials so they can start the class before we get there. Um, that's a big thing. You know, these kids are excited to learn about how they can become wildlife guardians. Uh, we released endangered species trading cards in Vietnam last year, and we took over a thousand cards, a thousand individual card sets. And those kids are so excited about them. They're asking, Asking how they can share them with their friends and families, and in the same side, on 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 sorry, in the same same type of work on the opposite side, when we're working in Africa, um, Roxanne, one of our team members, she was just with about 400 students over the last three days, and then she has a couple more classroom visits to do. Uh, all of those kids are so excited to talk about rhino conservation that there's 
full-on parties being thrown at the schools with our presence and we do art days and visuals and we work with our partners to come up with fun soccer games and these kids are super excited and I can say five six years ago um, we weren't seeing that uh, we would see it in, a, in some areas but it's now like oh we can go to multiple areas and do this safely where in the past it might have been like oh, we might need to approach the community first with a couple more projects before we even start talking about this that's fantastic that's fantastic. I do. I do think about about um, the hierarchy in families in in Asian countries and how the children are supposed to truly respect their elders and the elders' ways. And so I'm 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 interested. I would be interested to see some of those conversations in the home of grandmother. You can't you know you can't use pangolin scales in your soup. And yeah. grandmother saying yes, I'm going to use. You know what I mean? It's like it's like I and I, and I hope the next generation wins. I hope they just put their foot down and say I'm sorry. I respect you as my grandmother, but you can't. You can't eat a pangolin. Um, next, uh, Operation Java, Operation Kenya. What's going so on um, those are two really exciting projects. Uh, Operation Kenya, uh, we've worked in Kenya before, and we've supported many units in Kenya doing training, gear supply, technology supply. Uh, but now we're going to start our own GCF unit in an area that doesn't have any wildlife protection. Um, there are these reserves that are really famous and they're placed throughout Kenya, excuse me, sorry. Um, and they are doing fantastic work. However, if you were to take California, which most people are, you know, they can recognize, and you'd say, okay, there's only gonna be a reserve in um, Escondido, California, um, Laguna Beach, and uh, then we'll go up to Monterey Bay, and then we'll go right up to the top and we'll go to Eureka. Um, that's kind of like what happens in conservation. You get these really well-known names. They work in a zone. They can't work all over the right. place. They become internationally recognized. Right. All the outside donor money goes to them, and they become conservation islands. Everything in between is not getting serviced right. for wildlife protection efforts in the greater set sense. Now, Kenya is great because they have the Kenyan Wildlife Service, KWS, um, and it's, it's a paramilitary branch of ranger-based wildlife protection but they are also hurting for funding as well. So to give you an example, their average ranger who sees combat in their annual life at, on the job only gets paid $110 per month and only gets you know four to six days off on a monthly calendar. Uh, they live in very hard conditions and they deal with very serious poachers. Well, you, you add to those units by creating ranger hubs or community units or starting another reserve. And in Kenya, a lot of the people of Kenya are very much for starting community units. So the local, the locals of an area will say, we're going to make this a wildlife refuge and protect these animals, but then they don't have any outside support. So we went and scouted several zones and we picked what two of the hottest zones in Eastern Kenya, where there are pockets of uh, black rhino, African wild dog, all these endangered species in the, in the habitat that range overlap with other national parks and reserves that are privately funded. And uh, there is no true proper presence there. Uh, there's overlap of KWS, but they're strung out so thin in that zone because they're dealing with Al-Shabaab, a terrorist group that's attacking multiple zones. So we're concerned because there is 
we have the proof that shows that these military or these terrorist groups that are militarized are using wildlife products to fund their operations. And they're doing so by going into these habitat areas unchecked. Now they're very dangerous. They're very well organized, but they also are kind of bottlenecked right now. If we come in with proper support, and this is, I'm literally talking, all we need to do is purchase a vehicle right now. All we need is one Land Cruiser and we're up and running. That's a $35,000 purchase. Um, if that vehicle is up and running, there's already a vehicle that's been donated to the project that can move um, eight Rangers between the two vehicles. So that puts a 12 Ranger rotation into effect for a whole zone protected by essentially nothing right now. Um, Al-Shabaab terrorist group. I've never even heard of them. Um, what are they using their, their, their poaching and using animal parts to fund their activities? How are they, are they then selling, are they, are they poaching the animals, getting the parts and selling them to a, to a different country for arms? Um, kind of in some situations it's, it's, so they, they, the most tracked method that we're finding right now is they'll kill a giraffe and, or a couple giraffes. They'll dry the meat. They'll use honey to make it so that it lasts longer. They'll go into the markets. And since a giraffe has a lot of meat, they'll trade that giraffe meat, which they can easily get and easily move since they have vehicles, whereas other poachers kill them in place and take their parts there. They then take that giraffe meat and trade it for long-term dry goods to keep their troops alive in the remote parts of the jungle. There are other cases that are less cons confirmed but definitely known about where some units have traded ivory for weaponry out of the DRC in Sudan. Um, and these units specifically in this region um, have not been targeted with that yet, mainly because it's so cheap for them to already acquire the weaponry. They need to keep their guys alive. Al Shabaab terrorists. This, this, it's, it sounds, it sounds, and I'm, I, oh my, I'm, I'm so far beyond political correctness. I just don't even know what is politically correct anymore. But it sounds, it sounds like an Islamic terrorist group. Is that correct? It is, and, and um, well, then can, why can are they, why are they operating in Africa? Are they then sent? I mean, because they're they're trading giraffe meat for dry goods, but then what? And they're and they're and they these dry goods keep their men you know, fed it while they're there in Africa. But why are they in Africa in the first place? So <clears throat> with the, if you look at the demographics of a lot of the uh, uh, African nations between uh, Eastern and Central and some like up, moving up to the Northern Africa, there are a lot of uh, Muslim um, tribes that are there. Uh -huh. And this is something that has come to them over the last, you know, hundred thousands of years. Got it. Uh, so there's always been like kind of the meeting of the zones where um, Northern Africa, I understand, obviously, obviously with, with Egypt and Morocco, et cetera, that, that, that I get, but I mean, I, I, I didn't quite know, understand why they were there in the bush. Yeah. A lot of, uh, actually a lot of the Rangers that we work with in Kenya are, um, are, uh, they are believe they, in, are they, are they, are they they're, they're Muslim. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're Muslim and they're, um, they, are so peaceful. Then the thing that drives the people of Kenya crazy is um, Al Shabaab tried to marginalize these groups of people within the country so that people kind of pit Christians versus Muslims versus tribe versus tribe. But it's not working in Kenya. 
and that's a good sign, but it's frustrating them nonetheless because they're there's this extremist group. There's also a tangent of this group that's not officially sep- uh, connected to them that's in northern Mozambique, moving into central Mozambique. Um, if you're looking Sudan, there's, uh, you know, there's there are many extremist groups between the DRC ranging down into uh, East Africa. And uh, Al-Shabaab actually just hit Nairobi, I think it was a week ago or a week and a half ago. They nailed... Uh, a building within within the city, and uh, I think it was over a dozen people were killed by them. Oh yes, 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 yes. I did hear about this. I did not realize that 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 was them, because I was going to ask you, <clears throat> elephants. We understand rhinos. I understand, but I was going to ask you why giraffes. And now, of course, we know it's the meat. Yeah, and it's and there are Chinese uh, based demands for them too. When the railway was being put in, um, we were able to track intel that showed that anywhere there's a development project, including a Chinese business. So this is how organized cr- crime investigations work usually anyways. You track the legal front and find where the, the dark background is or the, you know, the black market background is. Anytime there's a Chinese development project, power lines, telecommunications, road infrastructure, water, uh, and in this case in in uh, Nairobi into a section towards Mombasa as a railway. Um, the Chinese uh, bosses on those road working sections of the railway would go into the local areas where people were at the bars or the restaurants and pay locals for ivory, um, tortoises, uh, baboon, and giraffe. And what they wanted from the giraffe, and this was a stent that happened for about two and a half years, they wanted the lower leg of the giraffe, the bone. Um, and that was, that's a demand. Now in Southern Africa, the demand is a little bit different, <coughs> but it's the same kind of issue. You get, you get an, uh, an external uh, business entity in the country that brings in money, then they overlap with the local community. That local community is hard up for cash or needs some type of resource and they exploit them essentially and a bring in crime or a leg bone for yeah. what soup who knows who knows it, the the, the yeah. insanity is uh is 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 mind-boggling so you in if we're taking the california analogy in let's say pacoima and sacramento mm-hmm. um are are developing um with the communities larger areas of protection, independent reserves that sometimes overlap, Mm -hmm. and you are funding those communities with the arms and the strategy and the supplies that they need and the funds that they need to help the the Kenyan National Service. Yeah, and they partner with the uh, police department and Kenyan Wildlife Service, um, as per our partnerships will be as well. So it's not like they're just community people. They actually get trained to become a law enforcement entity. Um, and they have uh, responsibilities with that as well. So they have to do court case processing. They have to be um, able to process re- reports and documents for that. They can't just be rogue. Um, gotcha. the, the weapons that come out actually have to be um, approved 100% by the police force. So they become deputized police officers working in the ranger unit. <clears throat> So it's a very strict long-term process and we are doing it because this is the other thing that 
happens in a lot of these areas of Africa, the only form of law enforcement commonly falls on a regional anti-poaching unit. So if the community is in trouble and there's Al-Shabaab going through their villages, no one is going to be able to stop them if the police do, don't respond or too, they're too afraid, too corrupt, whatever it is. So when you put a ranger unit up that's just as well trained as the Canyon Wildlife Service or another mili paramilitary unit working within the government realm of protection, you've now added an entire blanket of security to that community. They can defend themselves, they can help prosecute these criminals, they can get them out of their hair, and ranger units are the medical response too. Ranger units tend to be the medical help. And when you add a vehicle, that you could take like 15 communities in an area the size of San Diego County, and they might not have a vehicle to move somebody to a regional hospital. You, so you can, all of a sudden you get one ranger unit who has a land cruiser and it's like creating a giant city infrastructure for an entire habitat zone for wildlife and people. It's, it's a game changing type situation. Three questions <clears throat> with regard to this particular scenario. <clears throat> Number one, and we can answer them in any order you want. How do we ensure that those ranger units do not become corrupted as, as the police force might be? How do we <clears throat> ensure that the, uh, that the Al-Shabaab terrorists who are then taken into custody and tried and prosecuted and convicted, but then what happens? Are they, are they executed? I don't think so. They probably don't do that. But they, do they ship them away somewhere? How do we, <clears throat> how do we ensure that they do not return? and reviolate and how are you going to get the money for this vehicle so take the questions in any order that you want perfect <laughs> well so um so we have issues in southern africa with rangers uh being from the start uh they, they're working for the criminal syndicate system infiltrating the ranks of rangers and then they they uh betray the ranger force and that hits national news so in Southern Africa, the racial tensions from post-apartheid stuff has led us to this zone where now there's still a separate, separate thought process between who owns the wildlife and who benefits from the wildlife, as in ecotourism and land use and everything. In Kenya, that thought process isn't there. And the best way to describe it is when we do ranger interviews and program intakes for training in South Africa, it's a full six-week boot camp. You've got to do interviews, background checks, all that other stuff. And you might have a ranger on your unit for two to five years, and that's a good stint. And he might move on past that because he might be looking for more money, a better location for a job, or he might go into the private sector of uh, security because uh, he's not really in it for the wildlife. They wanted a job. In Kenya, we see the opposite. <clears throat> There are a lot of community rangers who don't get paid any money who are already going up against armed militant poachers or armed poachers that aren't part of a militarized unit just to protect their national heritage wildlife. They're so behind their wildlife that they see it as a disgrace when somebody from the outside or even from within their community goes and harms their wildlife. So uh, one of the ranger units that I trained earlier this year um, it was, they were just outside of Savo National Park. They had been with their unit for eight years and they had not been paid for two years because they lost funding. They'd never stopped showing up to work. They didn't get weapons until three years ago. 
and they were still out there. I mean, that's the difference. Now, when you do this too, you have to be on, be within these units, understand the communities, understand where they're coming from and what, what the goals of the community are. And the, the goals of those local communities are to save the wildlife and protect their natural habitat that they, they um, historically ranged overlap with. So they, they are very much behind the wildlife. Now, how do you keep the community safe? How do you prevent these Al-Shabaab terrorists from coming back and going, well, we lost the first round, but let's go back. Um, it's my understanding <clears throat> most prosecuted, um, uh, most, most individuals that have been prosecuted under the Al-Shabaab have met the death sentence. Oh, goody. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, and, that's, that's, that's so horrible. <laughs> and at the same time, Yay. most most have not survived the capture process. Oh, really? Because both, most, most times when it comes to conflict with that specific group, it's an armed conflict. They won't come readily. They don't answer to an arrest. Um, so in most situations, there are ranger casualties and there are casualties on the other side. Um, luckily, in most situations between KWS and this group and the police, it's been more loss on the Al-Shabaab side. Um, but as it stands right now, they're very much pushed into this tiny corner of Kenya and they're not really, they're, they're, they're wounded, they're limping, their head's been cut off. They're, they're very much isolated. So it's kind of like that really strong movement of we can save this entire habitat with the partnership efforts of many different groups that are out there already strengthen the communities and protect these endangered species because there are there are endemic endangered species in this habitat like the coastal topi which is an antelope species that's very unique and it only lives within a tiny pocket of kenya um you know stability wise there's always going to be issues with some areas things can change but you you can't let that prevent you from trying and of course not. you have to prepare for it and if we attack it now while they're weak and we have the opportunity, um, we can successfully eradicate Absolutely. that by Absolutely. working with the communities. I don't know what it says about me that I just got when you said that they meet the death penalty. I don't know what it says about me that I just, I thrilled. I thrilled. I literally went, oh, yay. That's, and I, and I think I will be, I think I will be judged fairly for that. I think I will be judged with, a, with you know, it's like you get, you get a pass on being yeah. excited that people are being eradicated who eradicate animals. Yay. Well, they, these people also eradicate very, they, they eradicate innocent groups of people. Yeah. So they're, they're yeah. very they much the scum. They don't need to breathe air. They just don't need to breathe air as far as I'm yeah. concerned. Yeah, um, they're, now, they're how do we get this vehicle for you? <clears throat> so we've been working on a fundraising trail. Um, we started at our, uh, gan our annual gala that was in October. Um, so far, we're $6,000 into the fundraising. Okay. <clears throat> Um, we have a couple more projects to try to fundraise for it. I think the hardest thing right now. You're a 501 C3, yes? We are, yeah. Okay, so okay, we're gonna give we're gonna give uh, donation information uh, pretty soon. So yeah, we have a specific page on the website for Operation Kenya. It's under projects, but if you go to donate uh, on the webpage, click elephants, What's and that will take you to the goal and What's it will map webpage? out the entire cost for the project. The web, okay, and let me let's let's say the web the the official website is www.globalconservationforce.org, globalconservationforce.org. Donate. Okay, keep going. 
Yeah, so, and we're talking, these are game-changing models for, for the infrastructure of conservation because sometimes people build fence lines and full bases. We've already got all that established at this point. Um, the, key, the key moving factor is the vehicle. Um, yeah, so uh, every time we help with an area, the most important thing is we have to come in as the, like, the best friend in the situation. We're not there to judge anyone. We're not there to uh, take over anything. We're there to help reinforce the community structure that benefits the wildlife and the people at the same time. And they're really excited about this. So the next couple fundraisers are actually focused towards Operation Java though. Um, Let's talk about that. So Operation Java is really cool. Um, <laughs> Everything you do is cool. What are you talking about? It's the, uh, well, <laughs> it's the first time a government has caught me off guard with an invitation. That's so that won't be the last. I was working with uh, the National Park units in Ujjan Kalan National Park. And I had been invited to a community and they did a full cultural ceremony for me. And then they said, hey, we have to go back to Jakarta. Um, there's a there's somebody who would like to meet you. And I was like, okay, this is not what we were planning on. And I was actually, I was kind of cranky because I was like, I'm supposed to be in, in the bush right now. I'm supposed <laughs> to be on patrol. Like, why are, why do we go back to Jakarta? Uh, and um, the head of the Ministry of Forestry wanted to meet me and give me the official invitation to be a part of protecting the last 67 Javan Rhino. And I was like, whoa, okay, that's pretty big. Cause I didn't go over there with that thought process. I went over there to help strengthen the ranger units working in that area so that that would help protect them further. But they said, would you like to help us put up a Marine protection unit? Because the peninsula where the Javan Rhino are, the last Javan Rhino are on this peninsula on West Java in Indonesia. And most, most coverage that's open is to the ocean. So in, in the strait between Sumatra and Java, there's these two points, right? They line up. And uh, when you're right there, there are a lot of vehicles and vessels coming through. And those vessels coming through are from wildlife traffickers, illegal fishing operations, uh, sometimes weapon traffickers. And they're coming through this area. What's to stop them from going into the national park? The National Park is protected by ground units right now, but the ground units are an extremely dense jungle habitat on foot. So if they don't see a poacher incursion from the sea or they don't get to it in time, potentially, like we've seen in other areas, poachers can access these endangered species within hours. And they'd be gone within hours too because they're just right back in the boat in the ocean. There is no Coast Guard for Indonesia in this area. So there are no operating national vessels, and that's the role we're taking. We're becoming the fence line, the perimeter security, the boat security. We're going to be checking vessels that are coming through the strait how? for wildlife trafficking. With, with no Coast Guard, how are you going to check? Are you, are you, are you, are you uh, garnering a, a private fleet? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we, we're just shy of purchasing um, the first vessel, the first marine vessel, which holds 12 rangers on the boat. These rangers will be hired from the community as well. They'll be trained from the actual military service that's similar to a, a Navy SEAL type model. 
um, and by the National Park Service, who was part of a former unit that existed several years ago. Um, this marine protection unit protects the endangered corals in, in this strait, very rare and unique corals, sea turtle nesting sites, dugong, otter, and then dozens of endangered bird, mammal, reptile, and insect species that only live within Ujong Kalan National Park. Uh, and that includes the Javan rhino. Now, pressures from China being so close and Vietnam being so close, we have the intel saying that they are already trying to get the Javan rhino. And I was on the, I was on the ground in December and while I was there, uh, there was information coming through that they were working on getting the Sumatran rhino, which they're always trying. They got six Sumatran rhino a week after I had left in a different area from where I was at. And that's better protected than Ujong Kalan. And those rhino horns are smaller than the ones in Ujong Kalan. So it's very concerning because there are less than 60 Sumatran rhino and there are 67 Javan rhino. And when I started in the, the front over there in the greater Kruger Park zone of South Africa, between an area the size of these, this reserve, you could see 60 to 80 rhinos being lost in a month and a half, which terrifies me because I've seen that scale in the beginning of the up, upturn of the crisis. Um, so what we're looking at is the boats cost uh, $22,000 each. That's that can hold 12 people. Um, we're going to employ uh, 12 rangers per boat, knowing that the certain rangers are going to be off at certain times. Um, the staffing in the boat is going to include a ranking officer, um, four staff members on underneath that ranking officer who would be rangers. And their role is going to be guarding the marine protection zone around the national park stopping the illegal fishing vessels, stopping any of the trafficking and trade suspected vehicles and vessels, and adding this whole new layer of support to the Javan Rhino. Because the way I see it is the wind could turn tomorrow. And if, if it turns in the direction of the Javan Rhino, we, I don't want to give them the advantage. I want to make sure that we've done necessary work ahead of this schedule, knowing that the pressure is already there. All right, let's talk about getting the money for the, for the boat, for the, for the vehicle. Um, <clears throat> could somebody here, I mean, what are, you, are you looking for a Hummer? Are you looking for, what, what kind of vehicle are you looking for? So we have to, <clears throat> so for the, for, the, for the boat vessel, we're buying a locally made uh, Indonesian style boat. Okay. And it's, the reason we're doing that is because it can be repaired there. Sure. And it's, sure, it's sure. culturally specific to the zone. It supports the locals in more than one way. Uh -huh. um, and if we have any issues, it's just easy to get it all done there. For the land cruiser, we can get it anywhere in Africa as long as it uh, makes it to Kenya. Um, but unfortunately, we don't have the same kind of land cruisers here. They're diesel land cruiser, uh, like truck bed style. And then we modify them with a tent back. Um, how, much is that, how much would that cost in, in Africa, a land cruiser? That's the Land Cruiser with the modifications that we're going to add to it. And we're going to buy a, a newly used one uh, is about $35,000. Okay. Um, Let's talk about your fundraising. Let's talk about getting you this money. What's yeah, coming up? So we have um, 
February 16th is World Penguin Day. And we've got lots of events going throughout uh, San Diego to Los Angeles to Hawaii, Toronto, Canada. Um, we're all over the place for that. The same day, I'm going to be in um, Scottsdale, Arizona at a Winos for Rhino event that Wilson Creek is hosting for us. <laughs> and we're really excited about that. Um, we're hoping that we can pitch the Operation Java project to at least get the last $15,000 needed. That's all we need for Operation Java right now, just $15,000. To get that boat. And that puts us out for two years of budget. That employs the rangers, the gets the boat, all the supplies for the boat. Um, we've got a lot of partners in country, like in the States that said, hey, you can buy from us wholesale for all the you know emergencies, uh, emergency stuff you need on that boat, all of the you know, lights, radios, that kind of stuff. We'll take it over. Um, so we're trying, you know, we save money wherever we can. And uh, we're hoping that if not on that night, which we always say this, we always, we always hold our breath for the fundraisers. Um, some, some generous donor will step forward with $15,000 and push us to the threshold where we're within a two-year operating, operating budget. Uh, Scottsdale is a very prosperous area of the country, and I have no doubt that you will at least raise $15,000 at Winos for Rhinos. But the rest of your fundraising efforts on World Pangolin Day, and I'm sorry that you're not going to be at the Blue Plate, uh, the Blue Plate, the Pacific Plate Brewery in Glendale on yes. February 16th. You will not be there as you were um, a couple of years ago. Uh, when I saw you and purchased this fabulous little blue beaded rhino that I've got. It's just wonderful. I, I got it at an auction. Um, <clears throat> that money is all going to go to Pangolin, to, to, to stop Pangolin traffic, correct? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> what, what's cool, though, so the way we model these things is um, Pangolin, rhino, giraffe, African painted dog, and elephants all live in the same habitats. They should, at least. Right. With, so, the, with the exception of some of the Asian habitat zones. So when you're pulling out traffickers that are doing pangolins in Africa. They're also doing- You're also yeah. supporting elephant and rhino. Sure. And when you're doing community research on African painted dogs and giraffe, you're also helping everything that they overlap. And these are all poaching crises right now, which is how we've modeled these species that are not necessarily always represented because people jump to other iconic species <clears throat> Or they think that each crisis is individual from the from the next, but the reality is the traffickers overlap, the poachers are all the same, and uh, these habitats overlap. So when you are supporting pangolins, for example, and we can fund a demand reduction education seminar for 200 students, which is coming up between April and June in Vietnam, those students are also learning about rhino, elephant, giraffe, and other species and they're learning the value of all that wildlife in the sense of keeping them alive. So <clears throat> the pangolin might be the one that's the most serious from the funding, but anytime you're going to any of these events, you are supporting entire communities and habitats. I think the last time you were on, you, you gave some, I, I think you gave this number that like $4 keeps one ranger in socks for a month or a year or something like that. Something, yeah, what, a year. Yeah. Four, $4 keeps one ranger in protective socks for a year. Yeah, we've got, so <clears throat> like a full ranger kit. So rangers in uh, Africa are seeing a different conflict crisis than the ones in Asia. So I'll use the African-based model that we have because let's say you're a South African anti-poaching ranger and you're dealing with 
long distance tracking, hot, hard, humid conditions, uh, dangerous game in the habitat that you're living and working in, you're going to need good, comfortable, durable boots, socks, a uniform, backpack, hydration bladder, um, and then your safety gear, which we provide full medical kits. <clears throat> that full kit is 125 bucks, and that's going to last at least at least five years. So that we, when we invest in each ranger per unit, you're, you're strengthening them. They become more confident. They're more reliable on each other. They're more um, willing to go into more dangerous situations or they're better trained and equipped for those situations. And they're not losing their lives or the friends of, you know, their friends. And therefore they're out there saving more wildlife because they're more efficient and effective. You're quite the man. You are quite the man. I'm not surprised that the Javan Minister of Forestry wanted to meet you. Or yeah, he surprised me. I was like, whoa. Whoever <laughs> it was. Um, have we found you a um, an international carry uh, airline carrier partner yet? We haven't, mainly because uh, some of the flights that we go to, uh, they're 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 random. Like you know, the, right now, if you were to jump onto uh, the GCF social media pages. You'll see uh, all of our instructors units out right now, um, all over South Africa. But you know, we might have our, uh, our you know, like our next next month that part of the education team is going to Vietnam, and then there's the Mongolia trip, and then there's all these other things. You know, so one airline carrier is hard to stick with because of we're just all over the map. Um, but we have been really successful at getting very affordable prices. Uh, in fact, some of the last the last deployment uh, cost for some of the, the team members, which includes them taking over 200 pounds of gear uh, in their luggage, uh, was only 580 round trip to get to South Africa, which good. was great. Good, good, good. Um, I'd like to have you back on sooner rather than later, like in, in a number of weeks, because I want to talk to you about the training programs. Because yeah. Because you, you bring people here, you go there, and I and and that's and and your 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 combat background um i i want to i want to i want to specifically get into that and how you how you what you see on patrol and because we're we're out of time but i want to what you see on patrol how the the fact that you continue to go on patrol to see what's changing you get a bird's eye view and a real-time view of what's different you know this month than it was last month and how you need to adapt and how the rangers need to adapt um, so will you come back on sooner rather than later? Absolutely. I'd love to hop in, uh, say February. We Fine. can do it at the end of February. We can, uh, we can maybe do it, um, maybe either bef just, just before world, world pangolin day in the fundraiser. So let's talk about where people can find you official website. Once again, www.globalconservationforce.org Twitter handle at Rhinos GCF, R H I N O S, for those who didn't know. Rhinos GCF, which stands for Global Conservation Force. Facebook page, www.facebook.com backslash Rhinos GCF. We're also, next time, you, next time you come on, we're also going to talk about ecotourism and Perfect. why that is so important. Mike, uh, a man among men. <clears throat> really, really. Um, 
it's it does my heart good to know you. It really does, and I think it does this show good, and I hope it does, and I and I know it does my listeners good to uh, to to hear hear what comes out of your mouth and how important what you do is. So thank you, thank you, thank you for being on the show today. Really, really thank appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Honestly, uh, it's a true pleasure. No, uh, uh, ours, ours. Andrea, parting shot, yeah. parting words, parting thoughts, anything. I I just want to thank Mike for what he does day in and day out. I'm just sitting here listening to these stories. If this doesn't wake you up, I don't know what will. Thank no, you. Andrea. Nothing, nothing. It means you're dead. You're dead. Like the, <laughs> like the, what, what are they called? The Al Shabaab terrorists when they're caught. <laughs> oh, it's just so wrong. Connections there. It's so wrong that I get so excited. Oh. <laughs> Yay. Um, all right. Mm. What a great way to start this new year! The one of the one of the one of the best I think in 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 studio shows that we've done in ages, maybe maybe ever. Uh, Mike, once again, thank you, people. You know where you can find Mike, Andrea. As always, such a joy to have you at least you know by my side in this venture. It's been how many years now, Tony? What five? About five, five. years. I think it's five years this month. Wow. Or it might be six. Five, maybe, maybe six. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see when I came home and I was so depressed from Thailand and Cambodia after the things that I saw. And I said, I've got to do something. So let's start a radio show. Um, <clears throat> I have news from, from me. And this has nothing to do with animals except that it might give me a larger platform to get more money to give to animals. And that is um, uh, my book series is, is looking to be turned into a series of features. And... Um, and I sold a movie. <laughs> I sold a movie to Mar Vista about a trapeze artist of a certain age who shall be played by, by me. Um, and uh, so, so that's fun. I'm now, I'm now becoming a writer, producer, actor. I'm, I'm all, these, all these hyphenates. Uh, that's, that's a lot of fun. So look, look for that. And St. Agatha, the horror film I did, premieres on January 8th. Look for it in your local movie theater. Um, Tony Sweet, the handsomest man in radio, thank you so much for everything that you do for me. And we have new studios, folks. We are in a brand new location. And out the window, I am surprised I have not been looking at it pretty much the entire time, is this gorgeous wooded golf course and these beautiful rolling greens. It's, ah, I'm just, it's nicely done, Tony. Nicely done. Yeah, yeah. All right. You've been listening to Animal Magnetism. I am your animal advocacy host, Carolyn Hennessy. Um, join us in two weeks for it. Listen, it might be Mike Veal again. Who knows if he's not in Java or Mongolia? Uh, it might be because we have many, many more things to discuss with him. But join us again in two weeks for another episode of Animal Magnetism. Until then, always remember: conservate the pres conservate cons attempt to cultivate the. It's been so long since I've said this. Attempt to cultivate the preservationist heart. It will stand you in good stead, not only through animal advocacy, but in everything you do in life. We'll see you again in two weeks. Bye-bye. <laughs>